This morning's scripture reading will be from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that, that is in us, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Battle of politics, a war of nations, or a clash of military powers. This struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. It is against the powers of darkness that confront us daily. A relentless battle between light and darkness, spirit and flesh. But as one caught in this struggle, you don't have to feel defeated or discouraged. God has made a way to redeem your struggle and give you victory. Are you ready for the battle? I'm so glad you're here today. And I know for some of you, it took extra effort to get here. Maybe you're getting the kiddos ready and trying to get them out the door. Or for some of you, maybe early in the morning, the old body parts just aren't moving very easily. And so it takes a little longer to get things moving and get out the door. And, and whatever is the case, I'm glad that you are here, that you made the effort to be here. And we truly hope and pray that you are blessed by being a part of this time together. It's hard to believe it's already December. I don't know about you, but I feel like time is just flying by. It is, of course, the holiday season, which for many people, it's, uh, it's a fun time. There's lots of activities, lots of things going on. I saw a couple of years ago a, a newspaper in the British Columbia ran an advertisement for a Christmas fair, inviting families and children to come out to different activities. One in particular caught my attention, the photos, pictures with, what does it say there? Not Santa. Yikes. Now, I don't know what a Christmas fair looks like up there for them, but I heard that's the hottest ticket in town. You get it? Unfortunate typo there, right? The newspaper had to come out a week later and issue an apology and no, that's not what we intended. It was supposed to be Santa, not Satan. And I guess they cleared it all up. That's why when we advertise breakfast with Santa, we were very careful about proofreading and editing, and we want to make sure we don't make that same mistake. By the way, that event is this Saturday, and that is a wonderful event. It's especially good thing to invite friends and neighbors to, because if you have friends and neighbors, especially people you're trying to reach uh, and, and connect with for the sake of the gospel, for getting them to come to church, this is a great event to invite them to. And our children's ministry, they just go all out on this event. And it is a wonderful time. And so I encourage you to invite others to that event. But you know, speaking of Satan, we have been talking a lot about Satan over the past few weeks in this series on spiritual warfare. Because we are in a struggle. We are in a struggle. And that's how the Bible describes it. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark age, of this dark world, and against these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
that verse is so sobering. It is such a good, clear reminder of what life really is. Yes, there is good in life. There is beauty in this world. There are so many glimpses of God and of God's grace and so many good things. But we also know, and you know because you live it every day, we all do, that life can be a struggle. By, by way of review, let's, let's talk about some of these things that we've talked about over the past few weeks. We acknowledge that we're in this struggle. And where does this struggle take place? Well, it manifests itself in a lot of different places and relationships and decisions and in so many places. But we know that it starts in our minds, in our hearts, the center of our being. Those places where we process things, where we make sense of the world, where we entertain the lies of Satan, where we make decisions where behaviors and actions take root and are formed in our hearts and our minds. That is the battlefield. That is the battleground. Well, who is our enemy? Well, your neighbor or your co-worker with whom you disagree, that's not your real enemy. The person who leans politically the other direction from you, that's, that's not your real enemy. So many people, so many things in this world that we think are our enemies, that's not truly who our enemies are. The Bible is very clear about who it is on the other end of this rope in this spiritual tug of war. Those things, those entities, those forces, those rulers and authorities and powers that are trying to pull us away from God, to pull us away from the truth of God. It's the evil one. It's Satan, the devil. He is real. He's not a cartoon. He's not just a concept. He is real. And he bombards you every day with his lies, with his deception, with the half-truths that, that seem feasible, that seem logical. And what he wants to do is convince you that, that what is right is really wrong and what is wrong is really good. And he wants to convince you that if you live a certain way, if you choose these things, if you go this direction, that you will be happy. And after all, you deserve to be happy. Our enemy is our own flesh. Those primal desires within us that elevate self and self-esteem and selfish desires, everything wrapped up in self that elevates self above everything else, it's the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that trifecta of primal urges that can so often control us. The enemy is the world. Not the world in the sense of God's good creation, not the world in the sense of humanity in general, but sinful society. A sinful society that endorses evil, that condones evil, more than that, that normalizes evil, and that repackages sin as something that is socially acceptable, something that is normal, something that we all should do. You see, the enemy is real. And so what do we do? How do we protect ourselves? Well, the Bible is also clear on that. God provides the armor of God, the armor of God. And so we use what God has given us. We use truth. We use the gospel. 
We use righteousness that comes from Jesus. We use faith. We use everything God provides for our protection. And that's what the armor of God is for, is to defend ourselves against those fiery darts, the scripture says, from the evil one. And having that protection that only God can provide through his truth, through his word, through faith in him, through his spirit, having that protection, we are able to stand. And after everything, as scripture says, to stand. So what else could be said? What else needs to be said? The whole thing is lined out right there. The coach has gathered the team He's gone over the game plan. He's identified the opponent. He's given the equipment and everything they need to keep them safe and to engage in this contest. So now maybe just a few more raw, 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 raw words and we send them out, right? What else needs to be said? But what if, what if before the coach sent them out, before the general sent out the army, He said this, hey, I've seen the outcome. I've seen the final score. And guess what? We win. We are victorious. We win. What if he actually said that to the team? What difference would it make? Well, first of all, he would have to be believable, right? He would have to be credible. He would have to be someone that the whole team would say, oh, we can trust We can trust what he's saying. He knows. He's been there. If he says it, it's it's going to happen. And if that was the case, it would change everything. It would change their approach. It would change their attitude. It might even change part of their strategy. It would give them confidence. Fear would be put aside because they know they've won. What else needs to be said? What we need to hear, what you need to hear, as you engage in this battle, as you find yourself in the midst of this daily struggle against the dark forces that are all around you, what you need to hear is this, we win. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. It's no mystery. In fact, I said it in the very first message in this series, spoiler alert, God has won the war over sin and death and anything that would separate us from our salvation that comes through Jesus. Victory is ours in Jesus. But you already knew that. You didn't need me to tell you that. That's why you're here, isn't it? Isn't that why you're here? Because you know God wins? Because you want to be on the winning side? Isn't that what draws you to Jesus? Isn't that what compels you to spend time in God's word? Isn't that what motivates you to be a part of what he's doing in this world? Because you know that victory comes through Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't hear anything else, hear Paul's words. The war has been won. God is victorious. Because of what God did through Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, ironically, by the way, is the very point in time that Satan thought he won, God used to conquer anything, anything that might threaten us. 
sin and death and separation. If you are with Jesus, you are on the winning side. The Lord is fighting for you. He gives you what you need, and he gives you absolute victory. And we can celebrate that, and we should. And we should praise God for that. But the sermon doesn't end there. Why? Because we know that's the final chapter. That's the final chapter, but the story is still unfolding every day as we live in this fallen world. And so we look back at the context for this glorious victory announcement that Paul gives us of our victory in Jesus. And we see that he's talking to Christians about life and about what happens after this life. And he says, you need a new body. Your bodies are going to need to be changed to be ready for what is next. He says, your body is perishable. Now, we also, many of us don't need someone to tell us that, do we? We see that in the mirror every day. We feel that in our joints every day. I went to the doctor this past week for my annual checkup. I was reminded, once again, that our bodies are perishable. They are declining. But in that unmatched moment when Christ returns, our bodies will be transformed. They will be changed. And victory will be claimed. And so as we expand that verse out to see what is around that verse, look at, look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are going to die, or we are going to witness Jesus' return in the flesh. And when that happens, the final victory chant will reverberate through eternity. Victory in Jesus. Sin will no longer poison you or this world. Sickness will no longer plague you or this world. Separation, the ultimate death, will no longer be a viable threat against you. We will have victory. But that is out there. Here we are right here. That is, that is then. This is now. That's the end of the story, but we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of the story now. And so while we are on this side of eternity, we are left to live in this fallen world where there is darkness, where there is evil. The war has been won. Victory has been declared, but the battle rages on every day. You see, the world is not yet as it will be, as it should be. The world is not yet fully redeemed. And that's why John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, we know that we are children of God. And then he almost sort of slides this in there. And we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Wait, what? We know that? I thought God was in control of everything. Isn't God in control of this world? What, <clears throat> what do you mean that the evil one has control over this world. That's a difficult situation, isn't it? To wrestle with that idea that the evil one has control in this world. Isn't God in control? Well, yes and no. 
God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. God can intervene in this world and change the course of history. And how do we know that? Because he's done that. We see that he has done that. But for now, at least, God has also allowed the evil one, referred to by Jesus in John 14 as the prince of this world, or some versions say the ruler of this world, to have some level of influence temporarily. And if you're like me, you ask one simple question. Why? Why, God? Why would you let the devil exist and have some influence in our world? Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be better if there were no evil, if there were no devil, if there were no dark forces in the spiritual realms? Wouldn't life be easier? Well, that is a difficult question to wrestle with. And the Bible doesn't tell us directly the answer to that question, but maybe it's because the light of the Lord shines most brightly when there is darkness for contrast. Maybe it's evil that provides the best platform for God's mercy and justice and grace and truth to be seen, to be witnessed. There's so much more we can explore. There's so much more we could say, but one thing is clear. One thing we all know is that evil exists in our world, that the evil one is active, working against the will of God and the way of Jesus. Life is often a daily struggle, and that's why Paul quickly follows this declaration of victory in Jesus with this encouragement back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, Because we have victory in Jesus, because of what God has done through Jesus to conquer sin and death, because we are victorious, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does he say? He says, yes, you have victory. We win. But stand firm. Stand firm until we are ultimately crowned victorious. Isn't that the same thing Paul says when he introduces the armor of God to us? In Ephesians 6, verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when it comes often, doesn't it, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Holy Spirit, through the writers of the New Testament, tell us that our job, that our goal is to stand. When trials and persecution and suffering press in, what do we do? We stand. That word literally means to withstand, to resist, to oppose. When dark forces of evil, when temptation, when sin, when doubt, when all of those things come at us, what do we do? We withstand, we resist, we oppose, we stand. You see, the day of victory is coming. But these, these days, these are the days of evil. Because there is a prince of this world. There is a ruler of this world who has limited influence for a limited time. So be ready. Stand firm. Stand with Jesus now. 
now in this struggle. Stand with Jesus so you can stand with him throughout all of eternity. So what do you need to know as you struggle? What do you need to know as you withstand evil and stand with Jesus? I think for that answer, we go back to that passage, Romans chapter 8. The passage we read earlier in this series, one that we tried to read every day of the week a few weeks ago. Look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? What things? All the, the things he's been talking about in Romans 8, the suffering, the trials, the injustice, all the things that represent the darkness of this world. He said, what should we say? How do we, how do we conclude this thought? He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That is good news. That Jesus not only died for you to secure your victory, but now he is seated at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for you. What you need to know is, as you struggle, as you struggle to withstand evil and stand with Jesus, is this, that God is for you. God is for you. When Paul says, if God is for us, it's not a question. It's not a hypothetical. It's not a possibility. He's not saying, well, just imagine for a moment, what if God were with you? He is saying in the most declarative way he can, since God is for us, God is in your corner. He has your back. He is for you. When Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt, the Israelite people out of Egypt, by the command and the leadership and the guidance and the provision of God, they were a little bit stubborn. He finally gets them out of Egypt with much resistance from Pharaoh. And, and as they're going away from Egypt, they're in the middle of nowhere. Suddenly they look up and they look behind them and here comes Pharaoh. And from every side it seems like their enemy is pressing in. And in front of them there is opposition and obstacles and it looks like a hopeless situation. And what do the people do? They complain. They're afraid. They let fear get the best of them. And from that place of fear, what do they say? They say, God has left us. We should go back. Why did we ever leave? And I love what Moses says to them, Exodus 14. Here's what Moses says. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Sound familiar? Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And look at this, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. He wants to lead you out of captivity. He wants to lead you into freedom, lead you into a life of abundance and into eternity with him. That is his desire. That is what he is doing. So what do you need to do? Stand firm. Be still. Stop stewing and worrying and running frantically around. Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to prove your goodness and your worthiness. Stop insisting that you always know what is best. Stop 
complaining and whining and stop operating out of a place of fear that is so destructive. Stop looking inward and start looking upward because God is for you. How do we know that? It's one thing for me to stand up here and say that. You don't necessarily believe everything I say. So how do we know God is for us? Back in the text, verse 32 makes it very clear. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How do we know God is for us? Because he gave the ultimate gift. He paid the ultimate price. He gave up his son to take your sins on himself away from you so that you could be with God forever. If you have a child, would you give up your child? That'd be so difficult, wouldn't it? But God was willing to do that. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he wants you to experience victory. He gave up his son for you. And so when you find yourself in the middle of suffering, when you find yourself face-to-face with temptation, when you find yourself pulling on the other end of this rope and you feel like you're losing ground, you remember this. God gave Jesus for you. He is for you. John Mark Hicks, it's a a different John Mark. We've been quoting John Mark Comer some. His, His information has really informed this message, but this is a different John Mark. John Mark Hicks, a minister who lost his wife early on, young young in their life, in their married life together. He, he lost his wife tragically. He, he wrote a, a book about grief. And this, this book has been helpful to many, including me. And then one of the, the quotes in this book is just so helpful. It's so eye-opening. And I've shared it before. Maybe, maybe it will sound familiar, but here's what he said. He said, I can stand beside the coffin of my wife and doubt God's love. I can stand beside the coffin of my wife and doubt God's love. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. You know what it's like to ask that question, why, where, God, why did you allow this? Why did you cause this? Where are you? Why is this happening? This isn't right. But his quote doesn't end there. He says, but I cannot kneel at the foot of the cross and doubt God's love. You see, evil takes on a lot of different forms. To be able to withstand and to be able to stand in the struggle, you first need to kneel at the foot of the cross and recognize how much God loves you, that God is for you, and it is undeniable. Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He quotes Psalm 44. Verse 37, this resounding, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, not only do you need to know that God is for you, you need to realize and accept and embrace the truth that God is with you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing you have done, nothing anything, nothing someone has done to you, nothing the world throws at you, no attack from the evil one, no tragedy you have experienced, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from God and from his love for you. And notice what he says there. He specifically says, not death, not demons, not powers. Remember our enemy? 
He says, no, these things cannot remove God's love from you. Not without your consent. These things can't pull you away from God. Please hear that profound truth and let it bring you peace. Peace as you struggle. Peace as you stand. Peace as you withstand the evil one. In a few weeks, the world will celebrate in various ways and likely with various motives, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus. What is at the very heart of the incarnation? What is the real message of the manger? That the word became flesh and lived with us. That God cared so much for us that he sent his son to put on flesh and live in the world that plagues us to be victimized by the evil of this world. God is with us. And with our powerful and loving God at our side, what does scripture say that we are? Back in Romans 8, look at verse 37. We are more than conquerors. We don't use that word conqueror very often. It's kind of a military term. In fact, you probably think of maybe a general on a horse when you think of a conqueror riding on a victory parade. And Paul says you are more than that. This phrase means to overpower your adversary in victory. It means to go beyond conquest. It means a decisive victory. No matter what comes at you in life, no matter what you face from the dark places of this world, you can have a decisive victory. You can be more than a conqueror, knowing that God is with you. That his spirit indwells you. That his word informs your life. That his truth battles the lies of Satan. That his peace comes over you. God is with you. God is for you. And every message we try to have a little takeaway, a little challenge for the week. This one is very simple, but I think it could have a profound effect. Here it is. Say these two lines to yourself, maybe internal, maybe out loud, at least three times a day for this next week. Will you do that? That won't take much time at all. Maybe set a reminder on your phone. Maybe just at mealtime, let it be a part of your mealtime routine. Something you do three times a day, I don't know, whatever you do three times a day. But do this. Say this to yourself. God is with me. God is for me. And maybe you want to say it multiple times. God is with me. God is for me. Maybe it's right when you're facing a difficult situation. You're about to enter into a difficult conversation. Maybe something at work this week is a challenge. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment and you're nervous about that. Whatever the case may be. God is with me. God is for me. You see, so often we listen to ourselves. We listen to those voices inside of us, those voices of, of doubt, those voices of fear, those voices of insecurity that cause us to go the opposite direction to try to appear more secure than we really are. We listen to all of those voices, and we let those voices inform our actions. Instead of listening so much to those voices, maybe we need to start talking to ourselves. We need to be saying, God is with me. God is for me. Because when we truly believe that, it changes everything. God is with me and God is for me. And maybe, if you want to get like an extra gold star on your chart this week, maybe not, not only say it to yourself, but maybe you share that with someone else. Someone else who really needs to hear that this week. Someone else who faces a difficult situation or is struggling, or maybe just someone else you want to bless. You just say, you know what? <laughs> God is with you and God is for you. I don't know what else to say. Just say that. And if they ask you a follow-up question, just answer it. God is for you. God is with you. Will you accept that challenge?
more than that, will you live embracing those truths? Because it does change everything, knowing that God is for us, that God is with us, that victory is ours. Some of you probably remember Dean Niles. He was a shepherd of this congregation for many years, just a wonderful man, very humble-hearted man. He loved missions work. He was an educator his whole life, and after he retired, he devoted himself to the church and to missions and just to loving and serving people and advancing the kingdom. What a great example. He died a couple of years ago. It's hard to believe it's already been almost two years. He died at the age of 95 or 96. He was in his mid-90s. And I remember one of the stories the family shared about his life. Dean fought in World War II. And one of his jobs was to, to, to dig the, the holes, the foxholes, that he and, and the other soldiers on the front line would, would hide in. He said one day he was, he was in one of these foxholes and, and he was taking a little quick break and he just sort of reached up to stretch a little bit and his hands and his head went above the surface of the ground. He said at that, at that time he, he heard a, a bullet whiz by his head and he felt the heat of this, of this bullet torpedo by his head. And of course he bent back down. And from that point on, And even until later in his life, when someone asked him about the war, how did you survive? How did you manage? What did you do? How did you get through that? He always said the same thing. I dug deeper holes. (laughs) That's what he said. I dug deeper holes. In our daily spiritual battles, we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. Sometimes we need to dig deeper holes. We need to protect ourselves. We need to make good decisions. We need to resist temptation. We need to counter the lies of Satan with the truth of God's word. We need to surround ourselves with positive influences. We need to protect ourselves with the armor of God. And we need to know, you need to know, that the victory has been secured. That God has won the war. And that as you face this struggle, you have victory in Jesus. God is for you. God is with you. If we can be with you, we want to do that. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a little room right off this hallway back here. You don't have to go through these doors. You can if you want. But if you want to slip out the back and go around, they would love to meet you there, to pray for you, to encourage you. That's why they're going there right now. Or we'll, as a church family, we can do that too. If you want to come down to the front, we'll lift you up in prayer. Or maybe today you're ready to make that confession of faith that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived on this earth that the word did become flesh and live with us. And that he died on that cross. And God used that moment that Satan thought was victorious for evil and for darkness. God used it to bring victory over sin and death and eternal separation from him. And you believe that with all your heart. And that God raised him from that tomb, from that grave. And that he is, in fact, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you. And you're ready to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you. You're ready to be baptized into Christ and to begin a life in him. If that's the case, would you do that today? Let's stand and sing. I heard an